Welcome to A Traveler's Art Coffee. Thanks a lot for joining me and uh, hope this finds you doing well. Wow, things have gotten extremely interesting in the last few weeks. I've actually been in and out of the storytelling uh, headspace for a while and I thought I'd just jump in on a great email that I got and also something that I like to talk about. So, But uh, on a little housekeeping, um, know a couple of people that ended up getting the coronavirus. Um, one had a sore throat, the other one battered a head cold, and they're uh, bouncing back quite nicely. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of theories out there, and a lot, I've heard some really interesting conspiracies that, um, I mean, they really, they're out there. Uh, but I try to, uh, try to stick to what I know is true and stick to facts and not uh, speculate too much because in the end it doesn't really affect much for me personally um, I'm just going to kind of wait and see what happens it's kind of like you know there was a time frame when I was trying to get a train in Italy and you know I, I, I wasn't really reading Italian very well and I couldn't figure out was I early for the train or late for the train Long story short, the train left early, so I missed the train. And I could have gotten really upset, but the truth is, I missed the train. So I could be mad, or I can just go to another train, or in this case, I, I, I got a bit of strategy and realized that I could actually take a, a taxi around this peninsula and bypass the peninsula and get the, get the train in time. So I ended up getting in a taxi. Had a great, interesting conversation with the taxi driver. Ended up getting the next train. I don't know. Things have a way of working out. Sometimes I think we get really attached to an outcome. Uh, you know, there's there's something to be said about being um, kind of calm and relaxed under a time of duress. Hmm. I got this email from Andrew. Hi, Don. I'm loving the podcast and also the photos on the uh, the website. I'm not a photographer, but I'm planning a long motorcycle trip through South America. Since you've traveled so much and a fair amount of it as a photographer, I wanted to know your opinion on photography while on a lengthy trip and having to travel light like I am with all my gear on a motorcycle. Thanks for the wisdom, inspiration, and insights. And love to see some of your work if you can pass on some website links. Andrew. Andrew, thanks a lot for that email. And to be honest, photography can really bring us into the moment we're in and make us hyper aware of our experience and, and bring us to be fully present. I recommend that everyone have a dedicated camera to take photos with. Much better than your phone. The quality is exceptional. Um, if you ever tried to get a print made of your cell phone photo, you're going to be brutally disappointed. As our, you know, as our eyes become more and more aware of our surroundings and photographing worthy subjects and moments, we have a tendency to get even more present and we don't drift off or look on our phone or do something 
I'm silly, which is to comment on someone's social media post. In essence, your your daily experiences become more and more interwoven in your photography and the photographs you make. And it ends up becoming kind of an experience multiplier. But on the topic of strategy with photography and gear and how to make this work, and honestly, it can it can be a bit daunting. So first, the first thing we have to do is ask yourself, what is your trip focused on? Then we can determine what gear you're going to bring. So you have to ask yourself, what is kind of your goal or your aim or the theme or your focus on your trip? So if you're a, a, like a foodie, like you like to go and sample wines and eat foods and maybe a little bit of a, a cultural experience at a winery or tour the, tour the countryside, you know, then, then you're going to want to have, you're going to want to have a camera set up or you're going to need to have a certain type of equipment for food photography, for people photography, and in some cases, a little bit of landscape, right? Kind of setting the scene. So if you're on like a cooking trip and you're, you know, you're dining your way through Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Bolivia, et cetera, you would have a different equipment setup than if you were doing a long motorcycle trip like you're going to do, Andrew, where you're going to be through deserts and mountain passes. You're remote. You don't have a lot of opportunities to maybe charge your batteries or things like that. So you have to take that, which would also be different than if you're going on a safari or you're doing street photography in Portugal. So we need to find out, hey, like, what are we actually doing there? But there are some fundamental gear choices and also philosophical approaches to how you decide to take photographs on the road. First off, probably the biggest one, less is more. Until it isn't, there is a fine line there. Literally, with food photography, uh, in your backpack, some some cardboard pieces like poster board with uh, silver aluminum laminate on it can reflect light and change how good a photo of a beautiful piece of food will look literally just by having someone hold a card to reflect some sunlight into it can totally change it. it it's amazing. But uh, you need to find out what's the bare minimum and then don't go below the bare minimum. People ask me, well, should I get a, a you know, a DSLR or a mirrorless or a mirrored camera? It doesn't matter. It just needs to be a legitimate camera and one that you can change the lenses on. I'll go into that a little bit later, but uh, yeah, it, sh it should have the ability to change lenses and uh, learn how to shoot manual. Absolutely. The more you shoot manual, the more you fail and the more you learn how manual has so many advantages, um, it will reap great rewards in the photographic artifacts you make. So learn to shoot manual. So if you have a choice between a really nice lens or a piece of glass, as we call it, or a camera body, get the best lens you can afford, period. Because you can always upgrade the camera body and then the lens just goes on that new camera body. And truthfully, the quality of the light coming in is a really important factor in how well that capture on that digital device is going to work. Um, <laughs> a lot of these cameras now come with lens hoods. These are these plastic things that kind of project out of the front of the lens. 
to prevent what's called lens flare or light coming in from the side and, and disrupting the image. Um, you know, they're meant to face forward, not in the storage mode. If you're walking around with your camera and the lens hood is in storage mode and you're taking photographs, uh, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. So, uh, lens hood forward. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, battery issues. Um, battery technology has really improved compared to when the batteries first came out for digital SLRs back 20 years ago. The new batteries have extremely long lifespan. And there are people that sell aftermarket batteries. My experience is those batteries suck. Just get manufacturer batteries, suck it up, pay the price. They are better quality. Um, I also choose high quality proven data cards. Uh, because again, that's kind of like the film. So you want a card that's well-reviewed, that has plenty of storage. And in my case, I have two different types of cards. I have cards for when I do still images, and then I have cards if I shoot video. Because I actually like to change cards. I like having more than just one large card, right? I like changing it up. And so if I've been shooting for a period of time with a card, it kind of gets near the end. I like to swap it out. It makes me feel like I've got a bit of a backup. And, um, you know, tripods with travel are really important because you can do low light photography. You can do food photography with a tripod is fantastic. Any detail work, uh, as they call it, is really good with a tripod. So a high quality tripod is great. And mini tripods are also really good. It just, those mini tripods, they need to be able to hold the weight of your camera body and lens. So just keep that in mind. Um, if you're in the case of Andrew, I'm not sure when your trip is taking place, but my recommendation is to get your kit together immediately and start shooting, start practicing. So in your case, go on an afternoon motorcycle trip and just start shooting, you know, put it on the motorcycle, get in your full kit, and go around, you may find out that every time you have to take a photo, you got to take your helmet off. Well, that could get old or you realize, wow, I want a camera that's got a, a tiltable viewing screen or a fairly large viewing screen. So I don't have to put it up to my eye. That may be something too. So figure that out. And if you can do food photography, cause you're on a food tour, Hey, take photos of your dinner. Every time you make a dinner, just play around, take some photos for like five minutes. That's going to help you get better before you go on your trip. Cause it is a skill. You know, nobody's born a photographer, you know, it's not like some other things that people can pick up. Uh, this is a good one here. I've got a list. So I have this list I'm looking through and, oh, this is a great one. A camera in your hand is a camera and a camera in the bag is dead weight. So your camera needs to be accessible. The most accessible place is in your hand. Okay. Not in your backpack where you have to take it out, you take a shot and you put it away. No, you're walking around with it all the time. That's my recommendation. Um, a little few small nuances uh, to everybody out there. You should have at least three to four dedicated lens cleaning rags that are used only for your lenses. I guarantee you, you're going to lose one. I guarantee you, you're going to use one for your eyeglasses or sunglasses. And I guarantee you, you're going to give one away, which leaves you one left over. So three to four lens cleaning rags is the goal. Here's a topic that a lot of people debate. Should I use a UV filter or not? Um, having my comment is simple. Absolutely. Unless you're doing something incredibly precise, any type of image 
quality or light loss through a high quality, well manufactured UV filter is going to be so marginal. But having destroyed a $1,685 lens because I didn't have one, trust me, I recommend one. And if it's really important, like you, you're getting lens flare or something's happening where you feel the UV filter is causing a problem, you just take it off, put it in your pocket, take that, those photographs and put it back on there. It's no, no brainer. Um, I get a lot of questions from people. Should I use used gear or should I always buy new? You know, I've bought almost exclusively used gear. Um, the prices go down substantially when they've been used and most photographers take fairly good care of their equipment. So I'm not so worried that it won't work or it'll break. I've actually had more new gear break than any of my used gear. Um, so if you were to, for instance, you decide you want to move into the Canon product line, well, you can send your lens in to the Irvine repair center and they'll, they'll bring it back up to snuff. No problem. So yeah, buy used gear. I think it's fine. On the subject of photography and, and creativity in that realm, Another thing I've had a few questions on over my time is, um, can I shoot film? My response is, hell yes. In fact, I recommend it. Um, film's light, tell you that. And uh, a film camera is really light compared to digital. You just have to wait around to see the effect. You just have to wait around to see what you get, which is not a big deal in some cases. Uh, I shoot both. I shoot digital and I shoot film. And I've also found that by shooting film photography, my digital photography is so good. It really gets better. You know, digital photography can get really sloppy. Um, yeah, shoot film. It's great. Medium format. Oh my God. It's like amazing. I'm going to talk a little bit now about some techniques or philosophies, and this goes across the board. Okay. So Andrew and everybody else that's listening to this, this is, you know, not a bad idea to take some notes or you can just listen to it again. But so what are the best times to shoot like streets and villages and cultures? And, and a lot of this is known, but, but I thought I'd go over it. So dawn, when it's raining, uh, low light and broad daylight is really good too for strong shadows. So obviously the light as the sun rises on architecture and buildings and, and the look of, of that warm light, you know, rim lighting people as they're walking through a, a small street or on a, a river crossing. All these are fantastic opportunities to let light become very romantic in the image. People tend to say, oh, it's raining. Oh, I'm not going to do anything. Bullshit. Uh, if it's raining, I grab my camera and I walk outside. Um, rain and water on the surrounding environment totally changes the colors and, and the richness. It looks really, it almost looks gooey when you see the image. Uh, I highly recommend it. You want to, I could go into how to do that in another podcast, but um, yeah, when it's raining, I'm out there shooting for sure. Low light is also a really good opportunity. If you're in a room where there's just a fireplace, that's a great time. Or you're at a, a bonfire or you're at a cook-off. Um, not a, or you're out camping, you know, those, these are great times and great times for a tripod too, by the way. 
And then broad daylight. A lot of people tend to avoid broad daylight. I'm not that kind of person. Actually, broad daylight is a great time to shoot in the shadows. Broad daylight is a great time to like overexpose the image slightly and it creates this very dream effect. So there's no like golden time to shoot. There's just different things that you shoot with different inputs. So low light or rain or dawn or sunset or broad daylight, it just changes. As a general rule, people are best photographed in black and white. And if you are going to shoot color, there needs to be no more than two colors in that portrait. I'll put a link in the show notes to a Tumblr account, which has some of my photojournalism to give you guys examples. One of the things that a lot of people do is they try to recreate the postcard shot and make it theirs. Um, this is coming from someone that was a photographer professionally for all, basically 20 years. I leave the postcard shots to those that have already done it. It's so much less expensive and so much less work. Instead, I put my attention on something else that's more personal and connected to my personal experience. The real point is to create photographs that tell stories and become icons to the experience you had. And that's usually going to be done because it's personal to you. Maybe you are in Cuba watching a man roll cigars. That's far more interesting than trying to get the perfect postcard photo of one of the plazas in Old Havana. And this is an opinion. I just like, I don't care. The fact though that I smoked that cigar from that guy and I have photos of him doing it, both really close detail shots of his hands all the way to the overall wide angle shot of him in his space, all shot in black and white with a high contrast value and grain. That's so much more personal. That is so much more soul. That's far more interesting. So early on in my photo career, I developed kind of a a little card that I would keep in my pocket. And essentially, it was the same kind of four shots. And it was a reminder to make sure that if I was getting a little dull, like, okay, I'm getting kind of tired. I've been shooting for two hours. I would refer to this card to say, okay, let me refresh my shot list here. And so there's the establishing shot, uh, the the specific shot, uh, the details, and then the people. Uh, So establishing shots usually are like wide angle. They kind of set the general scene, you know, and that could be like the big plaza photograph with people in it. And then the specific place, which might be in the case of the cigar roller, maybe it's that actual shop's entrance with people going in and out. And then I would go in and, and do photographs, detailed photographs of maybe the tools or the rolling station or the man's hands or the, the woman roller, you know, or the woman's hands. And then I might photograph the bolts of tobacco. I might photograph the old photographs of people rolling. And then that person's in the shot to create a story. And then I would photograph their portraits. I'd always like to get a portrait of them. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel honored. Um, And I always, when I take a portrait, I really take the time to connect with them and tell them something good about them. I usually say to to men, you know, I, I stroke my face and I say, you have a very handsome face. You really do. I'd love to take your photograph if you would allow me to, please. They never say no. And if, if they do, then then nothing I could say would have, would have convinced them to participate. So when they say no, I'm like, yeah, whatever, fine. There's seven other billion people on the planet I can take a portrait of. It's, it's okay. And then I, for a woman, I might say, gosh, you have the, just, 
your eyes just tell me stories and women's eyes really do, you know, tell stories. And so then I do portraits. I also might do shots of people caught in a moment, you know, they're exchanging money for a newspaper or they're, they're exchanging money for uh, food or they're giving each other something. Or maybe the people are talking or they're playing chess or they're having coffee or they're laughing. All these are connected in some way to the story of that place. And I like to create what's the story of that place, right? So in the case for Andrew, you know, yours is about the big journey. It's about the journey of transformation. It's the journey about different cultures and the landscape that you travel through to experience those different cultures. And the more remote you go, the more interesting it's going to become. Yeah. On a motorcycle, light is right. Small, compact, and powerful will be the answer for you. So kind of like being specific to Andrew. And now you could take this story to Andrew and scale it to yourself and, and repurpose that, you know? So I would go with, uh, with something that's small, has two lenses, a spare battery, two to three data cards. I do a small lightweight tripod and a high quality travel tripod for both of those for different reasons. Uh, you might want to go with a wireless transmitter where you can use a wireless timer. It's not a bad idea. Um, you have to ask yourself, are you going to bring a laptop or a tablet? Because that's a great way to transfer the images onto a storage device. And I think you should take the time to develop your own shot list based on the places you're going to go. You know, uh, that, that just gets you in the game early and it also helps you kind of, um, practice a little bit before you go. You know, some of the shots I'm thinking for you, Andrew, is wide landscape shots, establishing the areas where you're going through and you could be in those shots. In fact, I recommend it. You know, you can set a tripod up with a timer and then ride into the photograph. Um, and you know, I think low light photos would be really interesting. Maybe you're camping outdoors and there's a fire and I see you in the, in the, your motorcycle and equipment being lit by the fire. Um, or maybe your motorcycle is parked in a, a cool little area where there's a street lamp over it. And, um, you're sitting next to the motorbike talking to somebody just to set a scene, you know, cause riding a motorcycle and doing what you're going to do is pretty romantic to be honest. And then just the moments and experiences you have, you know, getting fuel, buying food, unusual vehicles you might see. I mean, in Latin America, there's some interesting motorcycles and cars out there, you know, that people piece together to make work. So kind of, uh, I'd like to wrap it up on this. And, and if this is interesting to you guys, send me a, an email and, you know, I could actually kind of pencil something out that's, um, online or maybe just talk it out, you know, in the podcast. The thing about photography while you travel is remember, it's not a recording. It's part of the travel story in your experience. It's a vehicle to be deeper in the experience and express your experience in a creative way. Photography as an art is not a recording. Selfies, group shots, the I was there, these are recordings and ultimately a form of well-disguised vanity. Now we all do it but try to do it as little as possible. Yeah. Well, Andrew, thanks a lot for that email. I hope that was valuable to you, Andrew, and, and all the rest of the people that are listening. I really appreciate your attention. And uh, I look forward to seeing some of your photographs. So if you have an Instagram or you're going to be posting them digitally somewhere or doing prints, please let me know and I'll, 
I'll pass it on uh, in a future episode. Hope that helps, Andrew. All right, everyone, that'll wrap it up for this episode of Travelers Art Coffee. Thanks so much for listening and sharing this time together as we uh, continue to learn more about travel and the philosophical aspect of travel. If you enjoy this podcast, please do me a favor. If you know one person that's a traveler or dreams of travel or would benefit from travel, please share this podcast with them. It's easy to do and it doesn't cost anybody anything. Remember, you can email me at thetravelersart at gmail.com. And of course, you can direct message on Instagram. The Instagram handle is thetravelersart. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon.